Welcome to Hot Plate, a post-foodie podcast. I'm your host, Joshna Maharaj. Today on Hot Plate, the pandemic versus Irish pubs. Can wine be any cleaner? The fermentation inoculation and magic mollusks. Hi, Susan. How are you? I'm good, thanks, Josh. I believe you have a bit of a birthday celebration. Oh, so sweet! Indeed, this is officially our fiftieth episode of Hot Plate. That's incredible, uh, which is really amazing. When we yeah. think about the early days and and how this was born, uh, it is amazing that we are here for fifty episodes, and then we have you to join yeah. us. With well, it. I am so nice. delighted. I'm thrilled to be part of this. Uh, It's going to be a really fun conversation and what a nice celebration. And all of you who have been listening, thank you for listening. Thank you for your support and excitement about this podcast. Uh, Frequency, we really are happy to be at home with you. Thank you for bringing us on. And we are looking forward to many, many more episodes. So yay for 50. Uh, Thanks to all of you for listening and stay tuned for more. Susan, one of the things that I am really finding challenging about our our lives in pandemic right now, Mm -hmm. and particularly uh, our colleagues in the hospitality industry, is that ultimately, right, the way I see it, chefs, cooks, servers, everybody, bartenders, Mm -hmm. um, our job is to offer people an opportunity to collect right? Yes. At a table, at a, mm-hmm. around a table, at a bar, in a kitchen, whatever it is. Yeah. It's about bringing people together. And so, so to see, to watch my colleagues, to watch everything sort of happen in this way where they're now trying to do what they do, which is pull people together in a way that effectively keeps everybody apart. So true. Uh, yeah. Just, it just, for me, it's like, in there's such a, a dissonance inside about what we're actually trying to do, right? It's, it's and there's really a lot of reasons yeah. why it's hard, I think. Yeah, because it is. We've absolutely identified something that is so important is that the yeah the hospitality industry is is about creating moments um in specific places for shared experiences. Right. Um. And now we're in a situation where doing that um actually can cause danger or have an adverse effect so you have to find another kind of workaround like uh, in Ireland we're all about the crack so that's the kind of um, intangible thing that just makes something brilliant. The crack, Let's, the, the crack, crack is the good times the crack is the good right? times the crack it's is like, the good times, the crack it's not the is, way we understand it here no, on this side of really the Atlantic isn't. I have much to, more damaging impact yeah, I think no, no right? we're not talking about your crack we're talking about my crack um, yes. and it just with a dreamy kind of, Gaelic spelling yes, yeah, yeah. It's, it's the frisson that's just something that's a bit fun, has a little air of unpredictability about it um and it's when people are together and they're just enjoying each other's company um right. and this virus is anti-crack actually it right. thrives on crack when it sees a place that crack is happening it is yes. there at the party <laughs> and that is the problem so <laughs> we're in that. we're in a situation in ireland where our pubs have been closed um oh, yes and and they're they're hoping to reopen on on the 21st of september um so fingers crossed for maybe that but what is so interesting about that for me is this idea that you just clicked on which is um keeping people t- together and how how there's social spaces be they restaurants or be they pubs 
that become more than just a place where you have a pint or a place where you in, exactly. enjoy a plate of food. It is it's actually about a kind of a community setting and a community setting that is is free from from the trappings of other community settings. You know, they're not they're not connected to church spaces. They're not indeed. Yes, that's to, right. To other and there's an informality functions. to those yeah. spaces too, right? There yes. is, and I think that's really really important, and I miss it. And what I really really miss, Josh, now with all of this is um is the ability to randomly meet people. Like it's great mm-hmm. because we now have a structure that all our our colleagues in the hospitality industry have put together to allow people to at least enjoy meals together safely. You know, right. um, and there is that structure. I like the unpredictability. I want to walk in somewhere and not know who's going to be there and maybe have a chat with them. Like that seems like that was such a normal thing to be able to do, particularly. And I I wonder about how our pubs are going to function when that can't happen when the when the crack has been sucked out of it further you know when you when it has to be so pre-planned and pre-ordained um and and uh, controlled and and I'm not saying that like it's it's not this kind of sense that pubs are inherently hedonistic it's just that um there's the the they are public spaces Yep. in a way you know and um, and I loved that that you could you wouldn't be too sure who was who was at the bar and, and what conversations you might end up having which was really nice and I come from back home where we've a pub is our is our livelihood like there's um our family business has been open for okay, seven years right, except right. it's not it's closed um oh. and my dad for the first time in how long is it closed oh down? like josh in a typical irish fashion we only closed for funerals before then yes. so uh, we went, yes. and christmas day so um there was officially two days in the year that irish pubs closed until last year so they officially closed on good friday which is the friday before easter sunday and yep. then on on the 25th of december for christmas day and those were the two days that you if you had a full-time license they were the only two days that you weren't allowed to serve um but other than that then it was just up to the public and themselves to decide if they were open or closed and generally they would only close for funerals um so yeah like it's such a such a strange thing to to grow up in a family business where it was a constant it was always open like mm-hmm. every weekend was marked by it being open um most of my childhood was like oh my dad was in the pub because that was where he worked um now that worked out really well for us when we were little because my mum was obviously working too and it meant that then he was working more at night time when and she was working during the day so it actually was quite beneficial to childcare like it 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 it, I had a I had a great growing up experience with that but it does it's just such a strange thing to think of this industry being closed and and we also have this division in Ireland now as well between what is seen as a wet pub and then a pub that serves food um and if you're so just, a wet pub being exclusively liquid yeah yeah just a pub that just okay. serves alcohol uh, yeah just serves liquids that's not um that doesn't have a food offering and they're the pubs that have been been closed there are quite a number of um ingenious publicans who hastily got kitchens or did um did some like kind of ended up having collaborations around being able to provide food in their premises when all this kind of kicked off but it's such a weird thing because like eating a meal we also, we put a set standard on the meal. You couldn't come into a premises and imbibe alcohol unless you were having a meal that was worth at least nine euro. 50, oh, you're maybe? kidding. They went yeah. that far with it. <laughs> yeah. Like we wow. have now got the most complex, weird rules that don't make any sense. And it's not like eating a plate of food is going to give you some kind of immunity. Um 
it was it was such such a strange so many strange things about it that don't seem to make any sense and putting rules on top of rules i think generally irish people are are surprisingly compliant um i think this is how you end up as a kind of a post-colonial nation there was a reason right. why you ended up as a colony in the first place yeah it's you just kind of went we, you know? we don't have a super different story on this side <laughs> yeah. of the ocean you just ran that yeah. okay we'll see we'll we, see what's going on here until totally. it gets too bad and then you're like hang on a second we yeah, need to get a little independence yeah. here um and i think that 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 we're we're generally quite a, a compliant nature for the nation for those kind of kind of rules and regulations but this one i think has just been it's very hard it's a very hard one to work on um because well i have so wondered yeah i have wondered about what this is doing to people's mental health yeah. and mental mm-hmm. states right without this connection piece because i mean when i first heard about some of the regulations around what a reopen on a bar or yeah. restaurant would look like it specifically the bars yeah. Uh, and the pubs, it was like, nobody, you can't collect at the bar. Yep. Yeah, right. That is that, that space is now exclusively for a bartender yeah. to put trays of drinks down mm-hmm. for a server to take to a table. You have there are no more six people to a table. Everybody has to be sitting yeah. down and yeah. stay seated. <laughs> yeah. And that when you have to go to Zero the washroom. Crack. Right. Like, Zero crack. Zero when crack. you have to go to the washroom, you have to like signal somebody to let yeah. them know. No live and music. I, right. And I thought when I heard when I heard this, I thought to myself, uh, the whole is is really not greater than the sum of the parts here, right? No, it's Technically, not. this is going to function as a pub, uh, but I but if these are the circumstances, yeah, uh, I feel like maybe you just buy some beer and drink it at home. Yeah, I that's what I kind of think ends right? up happening. Like, because the point <laughs> about being at a pub is drinking with other people. Mm, yeah, it is. It really is. Right? And I think there's even a... when I mean, even when I'm sorry, I've interrupted you, oh, but no, even when course. you saddle up to a stool yourself to drink, you know what I mean? Yeah, and you're, pensive, you're still not drinking you're on still your own. With other, yeah exactly you're still with other people yeah i think it's i and i think it's an important consideration i think there's also i think there's a demographic of of, of particularly people in ireland who use pubs who don't have other necessarily ways of connecting with other people i think there's right. that kind of social aspect i'm thinking particularly of older males in rural settings um and i think there's there's a lot of interesting work there's um, an academic called claire markham who's done a lot of work around the the significance of of a pub to um to the wider community that it's not just about it's more than just about consuming alcohol it's about creating spaces for for people um and to kind of offset that sense of like um social isolation and it's a i think it's a big consideration um and i yeah i just i don't like i i kind of think that pubs in ireland are like one of those intangible cultural assets i think they're really significant and i agree in yeah. if when we, every time we ask tourists who, who used to come and visit because obviously no one is traveling now but yeah. when people came to visit like top of their list of what they wanted to experience in ireland was the irish pub you know and what's all involved sure. in that um you know being able to just like it's a very specific kind of environment you can chat to anyone in a pub um no they don't have to chat back to you that's the absolute rule but you know you can it's such it creates these spaces where you can where you can where you can chat and i wonder what i'm really interested about is it's one thing to like look at this and say that these structures have changed i want to know what happens next because like yes. we will always want to connect and i have a feeling that there's there's going to be all these really cool things that i probably won't know about because i'm probably an older demographic i bet there's all these like amazing 
bright, brilliant young people who are going to find really imaginative, cool ways of just creating community and connecting. Um, and I wonder, I wonder what that will look like because I don't think it's going to take the traditional forms of pubs and restaurants and and clubs and those kind of things. I think it's going to be a different format and I don't know what it's going to be. And in one respect, that makes me sad for the way things were all nostalgia. But in another Mm -hmm. way, I'm kind of excited for maybe new beginnings. But, you know, whether whether that'll mean like us reimagining our pub space as something totally different. I I don't I don't know what that means for even just the physicality of that building. But um, it's an interesting it's yeah it's well and from all of my experience being in pubs in ireland or in um like in in the uk yeah um is is that it's tight yeah right? oh yeah you know i'm perched on a stool and i'm sandwiched yeah. in and i'm passing a pint from the beer yeah. you know, down to whoever yeah, it is yeah. right that is my and and that's why it's lovely yeah. Right. And, and and then you add on like a sports game mm-hmm. or something like that on top of it all. And it yeah. is a very particular, beautiful cultural moment. Yeah, it um, is. And so I it would hurt my heart to lose it. Yeah, I think so. Right. Too. And to to, very sad. Uh, to to see that the, the, the gadgets and the devices are somehow, you know, some sort of reasonable facsimile of that <laughs> experience. Um, but it is uh understanding that life persists you know what i mean and and our need for this connection will persist i am super curious to see where the like what the weed through the concrete of this you know what i mean will end up being yep really really fascinating but in 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 the meantime i feel like i just having a pint here in my yeah i know i know it's like pints yeah pints are fun in person i found they're not quite so fun on zoom you know (laughs) i agree I agree. Uh, that is, yeah. That, but I'm also, I'm learning to take advantage of that too, because, you know, the great thing is, I suppose we we are having a pandemic now when we have access to technology that wasn't even as, as advanced four or five totally. years ago. You know, so would I, would I be sitting here talking to you otherwise, Josh? Now, I would I hope we would be talking, but maybe not. So yep. it, it, it really does. You know, levers get pulled and other things get pushed open. Yeah. Uh, so, and this is, this is just one or more Very of those cool. bits. Susan, I've been hearing some things about clean wine. Oh yes, Joshua. right. Uh, and mm-hmm. I and I'm not even entirely sure that I understand what people are talking about. <laughs> uh, but I know that this is something you were thinking about or considering. Uh, yeah. What is clean wine? Okay, so I think. I think this feeds into the whole idea of like clean eating and how there's been such movement around um, what's perceived to be better for you. Um, right. So in relation to the idea of clean wine, Josh, and I suppose people are always looking for a way um, that they can drink more wine, but not necessarily have to combat some of the health implications of implications of the alcohol that right. is right. in the wine, you know, um, because like... When it comes down to something that's like said to be clean, the thing about wine is wine has been made for thousands and thousands of years. To be perfectly honest, grapes have just been turning themselves into wine if you leave them on their own. You like, just sort of neglect you know? really is the mother of all of it, right? It yeah. is. Um, and when it comes down to, 
human beings working at this might be a subject like I love the idea like who was the first person who gathered up grapes all excited about the harvest and then just was a bit lazy and forgot about them for a while and was like oh wonder if wonder what I'm gonna do with this and then magically discovered wine I think that's like kind of genius but what's the Etruscans yeah it's the Etruscans yes yes And that this also then becomes a way of, I suppose, when you're thinking about something that's preserved and has um, has a nutritional content, too. But we forget about all that now because we live in a world where wine becomes beautifully packaged and arrives on shelves and and, and, and we, we enjoy it with friends and around a meal. So to try and maybe offset some of the guilt about imbibing the alcohol people are looking towards this idea of of um of clean wine but for me it just kind of runs contrary to what an awful lot of really amazing winemakers are doing anyway um because it is possible to make wine with very little intervention um and yet you need some form of intervention so that you can you know grow the best grapes possible and harvest them um but the idea that there's something secret hanging out in your wine um, that you're not meant to um, talk about or isn't on the label is just so strange because like there's there are wine practices that are more commercial than other wine practices. Sure, That's sure. true. And you have to maybe do a little bit of digging, but you will probably know that anything that has a lot of marketing behind it and a very swanky label probably is using maybe more advanced technology in relation to the production of the wine. But where this really comes down to it is that there's a there's a particular company that has launched recently and this famous actress Cameron Diaz is behind this okay. um, and she is launching her version of clean wine and she says it comes from frustration of feeling that like the wine that she was drinking she just didn't know what was inside the bottle and she would much prefer to wash the grapes um so that she would know that they were really clean to begin with and that seems so strange to me because oh like the, like the microbes that hang out on the grapes are often a really important part of making wine and then yes like it just seems like such a such a strange thing there have been so many great wine producers that have been making wine um for so long and new players as well there's a whole natural wine movement lots of new players in wine too so you don't have to be ancient to make good wines Mm -hmm. but I think that what's so interesting for me is that when I talk to wine growers they'll tell me about the soil they'll tell me about the place that a vine grows and they'll tell me about like the aspect of the sun or if it was you know frosty before the the vines budded and if that affected the harvest you know they're very in touch with the place that they're in but I found that when I've looked into these kind of clean wines I can't I can't find out where they're grown you know I can't find who the winemaker is and that to me seems so strange to know a celebrity who is the face of this movement but not actually know any of the technicality so I have to take them telling me that it's something that's clean that's better for me than than someone who's been you know growing beautiful vines on uh the slope of a hill somewhere in Burgundy for like generations. I think well, my money's going to be with the guy in France. <laughs> me too, right? It's just it to me. It seems like a very clear parallel between uh, the the way we address the way we deal with food. Yes, right. Yes. It's like we want chocolate fudge cake, but we mm-hmm. don't want the full consequences that come. Yeah. With all of the cream and sugar and, you know, refined flour that is involved yeah. in a good quality chocolate fudge cake, right? Yes. We want, uh, I, I like to describe it as making uh, withdrawals with no deposits. That is so true. Yeah. You right? want, we just, we want it's... something for nothing kind of, yeah. right? We don't, we, and we don't also want to just, it's like, it's like, uh, I, 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 I have this idea a lot around um, uh, like 
tofu bacon or soy versions yeah yeah hot dogs and hamburgers i want to be like if you're a vegan or vegetarian you just have to say no you have to say goodbye Mm -hmm. to bacon yeah you do right and if you don't (laughs) want to like there are things that just don't don't reformulate the bacon so that it's something you can eat right Mm -hmm. um it is uh and and so similarly with this wine it's like a refusal to acknowledge what wine is yes i think right because this and and we've sort of we've we've imagined a problem around it that's not mm-hmm. really a that's real not, thing. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it is. It's I don't really because if we think about if the objection is about interventions or additives or things like that that are really the problem, mm-hmm. the problem, right? Not addressing <laughs> the harmful chemical which is yeah. alcohol. Alcohol. Right? Like alcohol wine. is the most harmful chemical it's in the wine. It's kind of the worst <laughs> thing in the wine, right? Is the alcohol. Um we like that wine, that wine that ended up in those clay barrels that the Etruscans yeah, forgot the Etruscans, about, right? That's yeah. essentially where the wine was started. That stuff did not taste that good. No. Right? It's not like we we need to actually appreciate the the convention and the growth and the progress that has happened in actually refining that piece so that it is something palatable, right? That was like a, yeah. a, a, a chewy, harsh, almost vinegary sort of thing, right? Because it was just sort of left, uh, you know, with time to do what it's going to do. Well, there's a reason, Josh, now why there are winemakers and why you can go to school to study viticulture. Well, <laughs> like, it's, it it's a skill. It's the same way that bakers learn the skill of baking, you know? Yes. It's like, to think that you can, like, uh, breeze in and change the wine industry and, you know, discover something new that has hasn't always been there. Like if you if you are conscious and you want to make decisions about what you're consuming, then find people who align with your consciousness who are making it already. And there are yep. plenty of people out there making fabulous wines of various different interventional levels. So, yeah, it's just like it's it's like it's it's creating a problem where there isn't necessarily mm-hmm. a problem and it's marketing something. It's like every few years, there's some new way of like kind of marketing something. Um, and it doesn't, yeah, there's, there's, there's great wine out there and it, it really doesn't need this treatment. <laughs> I love that. I love the in defense of wine. Please stop yes. doing this. That's sweet. Please um, go drink great wine made by great winemakers. And, yeah. you know, um, and enjoy. And have one glass like that. that the, I mean, the other yeah. thing is we want, we we as people just want a green light for uh mm. in, like engorging ourselves right yeah. and like excessive indulgence and consumption but it's like uh, every few years as well you hear these studies like you know oh all the health benefits of alcohol versus all the negative sides right. of alcohol like you know it's it's about picking the risks that you are happy with and you can read as many academic papers that will give you the green light but there's no way of knowing how that's going to actually result in your own biochemistry either so well this you know, is it right and, and you know something else that i find quite irritating about this angle on this discussion mm-hmm. around clean drinking or clean eating yeah is i think that i think that the wrong things are being paid attention to i think so too right yeah. because the uh, around the food stuff that like people were like we want something cleaner without cream Right. You know, because yeah. the, the, the the notion that that a vegan approach or a completely plant based approach is mm-hmm. the cleanest yeah. you know, way to eat uh, is completely incorrect as far as I'm con- uh, concerned. Mm-hmm. And that's not about a slight to veganism. It's just you're missing the point. Yeah. Right. Because what the what is not considered is I actually would much rather you eat something with organic cream in it than highly processed uh, you know, uh, fake uh, mayonnaise or, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or some other, 
yeah, product not, that technically has no animals in it. Yeah, and it's also not taking into account how we live in a diverse world. So, right. like, Irish people have been making butter for millennia, Ajashna. Like, and doing we, a fine, doing fine it absolutely job of it. fine. Yes. Like, you know, and that's okay. We have uh, most of our, our, our dairy cows are grass fed. It rains a lot here. We've loads of grass. That's not through any like wanting to do anything particular. It's just that it rains, grass grows, the cows eat it. Like, it's, yes. it is that simple process. And, and, and we produce dairy very well on this little island. In other places, dairy isn't an option or maybe other types of dairy are more an option. So it's more about, I suppose, and there's whole cuisines that have grown up that don't have any dairy in it and, and are and are perfect as well. But it's about not acknowledging that that there that you can have difference and the difference can also be geographic and cultural yep. as well. Um so when we when we look at I suppose what's also I suppose inherently at the heart of it is trying to make something that you think might be a little bit of a like a risky choice to consume um trying to trying to trying to make a better choice around that and whatever about um companies coming on board to sell that dream to people um what i feel really sad about is people who really want to believe that it's that it's better because i know you know and because no one like who doesn't want to live forever and like have no health implications of course sure. but like and, you said we want to, to eat just all the consume. cake as well yeah Yep, I completely agree with you. One of the things that I have to also acknowledge, like if it's, it feels like it's undeniable in this conversation, is the human arrogance. Yeah. Right? It's this, like, we don't want to actually understand what wine is. Yeah. Right? And what, yeah, what so good wine is all about. We need wine to work for us. Yeah. Right? Essentially yeah. is the <laughs> idea. We need wine. Instant wine, Friday. <laughs> no consequences wine consumption is what we're yeah. looking for and that is just ridiculous yeah because it uh, and that comes to the crux of so many of the complex um challenges that we have around alcohol consumption anyway susan i've been paying attention to this conversation that i've seen about the connection between fermented foods specifically fermented cabbage mm-hmm. and and resistance to covid19 Okay. Right. I first yeah. heard about this uh, in a conversation about uh, and and listen the, the a lot because it's so new and it's so topical. We there are not a lot of academic studies to really anchor this in a lot. Yeah. However, the first bit that I heard was this connection between the um, the fermented cabbage yes. um, and helping with uh, with with uh, protecting you from contracting this virus and and the evidence uh the sort of you know preliminary evidence was uh lower rates of incidence of contacting uh, and of mortality of uh in korea and Mm -hmm. in germany Ah, right two solid fermented cabbage eating countries (laughs) absolutely and i was like this is amazing but of course it is it is widely unsubstantiated right there's no real Mm -hmm. anchor of a thing However, there appears to be some movement. And so I, I'm sort of like continuously checking in on this story yeah, going like, because I find, find it out? so fascinating. Uh, and I, I think it's a really cute little thing, especially with the link between Korea and Germany about this, you know, this yeah. sort of thing. So most recently, we have seen um, some some moves. There is um, uh, a study that was done in uh, France, I believe. Mm-hmm. Right. And they came up with the idea that um, 
the the role of fermented foods uh, is quite substantial in reducing incidence of COVID nineteen. Okay. Uh, right, and they what did they say? It is for each gram per day increase in the average consumption of fermented vegetables. This is not cabbage specific. Okay. Uh, the mortality risk for COVID nineteen decreased by thirty five point four percent. Interesting. Right. And so that is a really, really, those are high numbers, right? Those are high, high numbers. Um, They, uh, this is in a paper that has yet to be peer reviewed. Yeah. Right. So we're still not fully, fully there to be able to confirm that this is it. And so there perhaps is not necessarily the moment for us all to start for, you know, our kimchi pots. I really hope that like fermented cabbage and fermented vegetables would, like people have been eating them for a long time and there there's def we definitely know that there are health benefits to eating them in relation to your microbiome and your gut flora um, but they don't know why so they don't know if it's because it changes the acidity level or right. if it's because it increases fiber and our our gut organisms thrive on fiber so they could be we so when we see instances like this i would always it's my academic brain kicking in i'm like i want to believe that if i ate lots of sauerkraut i could protect myself from this horrible illness but i then wonder if it's just if if i have a stronger microbiome in general you know well this that, is it right you know, does exactly. that give me and maybe that's what we should all be striving for eating more fiber so that we have a better microbiome because interestingly enough joshna you're in your gut you have one to two kilograms one to two kilograms of bacteria right in oh. your gut alone right but your brain weighs the same amount of that like you know so one of our most important organs in our body that we consider is our brain and then also this like microbiome these this group of like microbes yep. that are living inside our intestine and there's been fascinating work that has been done um by a professor in cork university um about how your gut can change your mood so depending on on how healthy your gut flora is your mood will be changed or improved and he's like he's a psychiatrist ted dynan and he's really like done a lot of work into it and it's it's just fascinating so there's loads of things that we don't know about yet so um yeah i i think there's probably going to be lots of crossovers that we don't know why it's happening but if you can see an instance it's what's really interesting is that we have researchers looking at this at the moment and charting at least those anomalies and finding those connections between countries that have a predominance for eating these types of fermented cabbages or fermented vegetable foods very fascinating it's super fascinating and we will all stay tuned for more updates from this lovely team of people all right susan i've got this lovely lovely story here about mollusks right and it's essentially seafood uh, in shells, oysters, mussels, clams, yes. etc. Um, and there is a new study uh, that mm. actually suggests that oysters and other mollusks may open and close their shells mm. as the moon wanes and waxes. Fascinating. Right? It is connected to the movement of, of the, the plankton, which is sort oh, of the, the plank- some yeah. organic material in the water. 
Um, but as that shifts with the lunar cycle, there is they they have also and and listen. So there's a group of of, of uh, researchers who studied. They actually kept tabs on twelve oysters. <laughs> I love it. It's I, almost it's, like having pet oysters. It is the loveliest little thing, right? And that they watched uh, as the phases of the moon passed uh, passed through. That these that these oysters would open and then close their shells accordingly. Uh, right. And the the romance of that is something I was just like, this is the most beautiful thing I've heard all week. Well, it makes sense that we're just so connected to um, to the, the pull and the waxing, the waning of the moon. And and these are creatures that live in water. So um, it kind of. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. Uh, it, it it seems it seems like uh, I mean look in in a moment kind of impact. yeah it does seem very extraterrestrial I'm with you there yeah and in a moment in time where it feels like everything is crazy and nothing is the same way you know nothing was the way mm. it has been um, to really connect to the fact uh, that even though it feels wild and insane things like the the waxing and waning of the moon mm. and the movement of, you know that there is still all these other glorious connections particularly in the natural world yeah right are still being made this is all still happening uh and it feels really reassuring and and it's look it's an important perspective uh we can get really full of the fact that everything is about us yeah uh, right and that everything nothing is working for us and that that's what the big deal is um but i love the like it, it has offered me a moment to take a break and just consider the loveliness of the fact that these sweet oysters are so are connected to moonlight that moonlight, way. I think it's just, yeah. just glorious. It's also the idea that there's so much we don't know about. Um, right. We live as these kind of um, intelligent beings and we think we've worked out so much of what goes on. And then something as simple as why an oyster chooses to open and close or a mussel or yeah. a clam or a mollusk is like what is the force behind it i i love that we're still asking those questions that we're you know finding the wonder in the everyday yeah uh, and and i'll think about it now every time i eat one of these things yes. right about their connection with the like it, it's just it'll mean something very different which i really really love if you're enjoying our podcast you can support us at patreon.com slash hot pod Hot Plate is part of the Frequency Podcast Network. Please consider leaving us a rating or review. It helps others find us. You can follow me at Joshna Maharaj on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can follow our guest, Susan Boyle, at Miss underscore Susan Boyle on Twitter and at Susan Boyle Instagram on Instagram. Hot Plate is produced by Mirella Amato and Dennis Coyne with original music by Dave Bell. Thanks for listening. Thank you.